0: This is the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIPC.
2: Hey, howdy. It is a beautiful Monday evening after the Thanksgiving weekend. Hello, I'm Tony Kinnett. This is indeed the Tony Kinnett cast. And boy, do we have a lot of of shenanigans to get to but first i would just like to issue a special note of thanks to allison our producer um, who did not bring the show in with mariah carey's all i want for christmas as hard as i know that must have been i'm sure there will be a lot of time for that um, but christmas themed bumper music does indeed give me hives all right on to the news so president biden um almost in full sentences announced this is the cheapest thanksgiving on record I, I know, I, the cheapest Thanksgiving on record. It, it, I know, I settle down, settle down. I, I know that there's a lot to celebrate, but I really want you to hear it from our great and enigmatic leader himself, President Joseph R. Biden.
3: Well, this past week, as Americans gathered around their own kitchen tables for Thanksgiving dinner, that was our goal, <clears throat> to give them a little more breathing room. And together we made progress. You know, uh, from Turkey to air travel to tank of gas, costs went down. They went down. Now, of people making a lot of money, that doesn't matter a whole lot because the costs are relatively small compared to wealthy incomes. In fact, as a share of earnings this Thanksgiving, dinner was the fourth cheapest ever on record. I want you all to know
0: that.
2: Okay. <laughs> I learned- and uh the crowd um, kind of awkwardly looked at each other before they started clapping uh, because President Biden, you know, was announcing, oh, the fourth cheapest dinner on record, the cheapest Thanksgiving ever. Um, actually, no. Um, it was the most expensive Thanksgiving in us. history. <clears throat> Prices have increased by seventeen point six percent um since the start of Biden's administration. um a seventeen point six percent increase. Um, is not a decrease. I I know that gets a lot of people confused, uh, but there's no shortage of confusion to go around. At least we have a great Department of Education to teach kids the difference between increasing and decreasing, uh, and, and not just math. I mean, our Department of Education knows all kinds of things, like history. Here is our great leader, Secretary Cardona, the Secretary of Education for the United States Department of Education, telling us a little bit about famous quotes from history
0: you know we're gonna set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available um, as uh, I think it was President Reagan said we're from the government we're here to help um, there's
2: um, yeah you know President Reagan the the, the big governmental advocate <laughs> Cardona just <laughs> We're, we're going to be scheduling calls with the government. Let them know the government's here to help. It's Ronald Reagan who once said, notable authoritarian government official, Ronald Reagan, who once said, the government's here to help. <laughs> He's the secretary of education. Oh, we're so screwed. Oh, no. Um, For those of you who have been living under a rock, under a bed of uranium, under a massive moon crater for the last 3.7 trillion years, um, the actual quote quote from Ronald Reagan is, The nine scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I am here to help. So, um... (laughs) I, I mean, look, I've, I've heard of misquotes before. There are a lot of famous misquotes throughout history. I mean, the history's rife with them, but like that one from the Secretary of Education, just mm, your kids' public educations have never been in better hands. Uh, Iran-back Houthis fire on a U.S. Navy ship answering a distress call from an Israeli-linked tanker. This is part of a movement over the weekend uh, from a lot of different uh, totally not governmental groups around the Middle East, um, from Turkey, um, from Yemen, uh, from several other areas, all the way as far as Spain um, to disrupt Israeli shipping. I guess their idea was kind of the the Mao idea. If we throw enough boats at them, that'll totally work. Um, and fun fact, uh, it did not. I, I do like the idea of Yemen and the Middle East. So at home, we're kind of like really nervous about dealing with these terrorist threats out and abroad because we're worried it'll spark some kind of huge major global war. And I hear you. But I do love the idea of the U.S. Navy putting up ever so lessly, ever so lessly, ever so slightly with these uh, attacks on U.S. Navy vessels as time goes on. Uh, I hope that everyone realizes just how immensely powerful the U.S. Navy is, far more powerful than the U.S. Army is. And I I say that as, as an Army fan over Navy. The U.S. Navy will wipe every single Middle Eastern country grid into glass off the face of the earth. So by all means, Houthis, please continue until Yemen is like a radioactive garden. I mean, if that's really what you're desiring, by all means, continue letting the Houthis operate this way. Uh, North Korea is also getting in on, you know, the whole foreign policy excitement. Um, They have announced this afternoon the North Korean intelligence agency has taken photos of the White House with its new spy satellite. Uh, this is the first time in history anyone has ever taken a photo of the White House. Um, I was really excited to see this tweet because I thought, uh, I've never seen the White House before. It's this closely guarded secret. Um, so I'm glad that North Korea was able to actually get a photo um, of the White House. Uh, if Also, breaking, there's this car with a camera on it that Google keeps driving around taking pictures of buildings. Um, I don't know if we can get North Korea one of those little cam- camera smart cars, but... I mean, you know, probably cheaper than a spy satellite. So congrats to North Korea. um, Kim Jong-un, greatest leader. um, Starvation satellites. All right. The last thing that I have for you guys this evening is particularly special because it is from a grown man at a sports publication called Deadspin. And he decided to flip out, uh, saying that the NFL needs to speak out against this, this child that looks about 10 years old, um, in this Kansas City Chiefs game, he said they need to speak out against this Kansas City Chiefs fan in blackface and a Native American headdress. And he posts a picture, and the picture is um, it's it's a child, uh, a ten-year-old child in a, a Native American headdress in the Chiefs colors, and then his his face is painted um, in Chiefs colors. And in case you don't believe me, you may say, "Well, I mean, yeah, sure. His face is black, his clothes are red, you know, the yellow and the white." But like. Where does it say that, you know, on the Chiefs stuff? Oh, it says that on the Chiefs official logo and colors. And then people pointed out, and this is my my personal favorite, um, the the young man was uh, actually, uh, you can see half of his face is painted red and the other half is painted black, um, like a lot of Blackhawks fans um, and a lot of Cincinnati Reds fans um, and a lot of fans. I've been to the Cardinals. I've been to Cardinals games where I've seen people's faces painted red and black. Uh, and so he immediately started getting ratioed into ever oblivion on Twitter, because I'm sure you guys remember the Nicholas Sandman incident. Um, his parents are going to sue this absolute goofball, um, into just the Neolithic era. He is going to have negative money by the time that lawsuit is over. Um, so his name is Karen Phillips and he got really mad because he's getting obliterated. And, uh, so he decided to tell everyone that, uh, I guess that we're not allowed to say anything because painting your face black and red is just as bad because painting your face red, that's like the Native Americans, and that's just as racist. So here I am. I am a federally registered member of the Cherokee Nation. Uh, I have my BIA card and everything, and I'm giving all of you out there permission. If you want to wear a headdress, uh, if you want to paint your face red and maybe do a rain dance, um, maybe break out the the powwow, chow, or whatever Elizabeth Warren calls it, uh, you have my full tribal permission because apparently you need that. Uh, so congratulations Um, please do enjoy responsibly and uh, we'll see you at the uh, next great tribal dance uh, in the upcoming weeks Uh, up next we're going to be talking to Daniel Buck a former colleague of mine founded chalkboard review together because classroom violence is getting out of hand you are listening to the Tony Kinnikast on 93 WIBC
4: life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans and your treatment consider Kesempta
0: The Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC.
2: Welcome back to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Joined this evening by a very special guest. Uh, that is, uh, at least I guess that's how you're supposed to refer to special guests on the air. Uh, Daniel Buck is a policy associate and fellow at the Fordham institute uh it's weird introducing you because you know we used to work together every single day i'm not used to that
5: yeah it's um it's like yeah tony Kidd, he's my friend um and i always we joke that people think we go way back to high school but we're just kind of uh fellow travelers in the uh conservative space education space trying to um say sensible things about education
2: no, you're right. We used to run Chalkboard Review back when it uh, was not Chalkboard News, and we were kind of forging out in that space. And we saw a lot of weird trends that I didn't think that we would see going into it. Um, you know, originally we just kind of started as this organization that wanted to give any teacher, left, right, center, Republican, Democrat, didn't care, you know, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, atheist, whatever. We, if you were a teacher, we'd let you post your article, and then the audience would tell you if it was garbage or not. And what started out as kind of a fun experiment, uh, I mean, we kind of happened upon trends that like no one was talking about, and we're getting like hushed up in like board meetings. I, do, do you remember when we started talking to teachers who would tell us in confidence that like the violence situation at their school was really, really bad, and they weren't like they felt like they were in danger, but they weren't allowed to like bring it up to the union, they weren't allowed to bring it up to the administration. And like, that was this really big thing in education that like everyone knew was going on, but nobody was allowed to talk about it. It was super creepy.
5: Yeah. uh, I remember you also bringing up, you know, early on in that publication websites history, you telling me that the gender stuff was everywhere in schools. Critic race theory was everywhere in schools. And even I was like, Tony, you're crazy. That's not the case. And then a year later, it was blowing up. It was on you know every headline, every Chiron on the news. And that publication was basically a year or two of me admitting that, Tony Kennett, you were right over and over and again and saying, you called it, you called it, you called it. And now, once again, the discipline, the, the sad state of discipline in schools. Once again, you've called it.
2: Well, I think that, uh, to, to be fair, I mean, first of all, again, checks in the mail. Thank you for saying, you know, very nice things, you know, while I have you. Uh, but I, I just got a text from uh, another teacher while you were saying that, um, who said that their school went into lockdown because there is a student that is being really violent and he's in the hallways and like no one did anything for a while. And so now they're like, well, what do we do? You know, do we call the police? So We don't want to be racist or inequitable. And it, it's less about, you know, calling things and making predictions. Um, I, I wrote an article a couple of uh, days ago that was kind of a, we told you so article. And it wasn't really gloating as much as I really hate that. I have to come back here and say, this isn't new. We've been talking about this. And um, I had made this prediction back in 2021 that, you know, we're going to see violence increase in schools and all this other stuff, but it wasn't a, Oh, Hey, you know, gaze into the crystal ball and see what I am seeing. It was more of a, we're seeing this in some places start to be acted out. And there's no reason that your school in your state is any safer than this inner city environment in Atlanta or in Baltimore. People are like, oh, Baltimore, that's a really bad place. That could never happen in Indianapolis or Memphis or Madison or Milwaukee. And yet now it's here. And I think that's one of the biggest frustrations, at least, you know, seeing a lot of teachers that I used to talk to and I used to hang out with that um, were like really to the left of me. You know, at a time, and we talked about this a little bit before the show, that, um, you know, feel like everyone has just moved so left that a lot of people who are standing in the center are now considered on the right. There was a guy out of Texas um, who was very very much on the left, um, who told me um, a couple of days ago that he's probably going to vote for some pro-parental rights candidates for the first time ever in school board races in 24, because they're the only ones who are willing to say, You know what? Kids should be expelled if they're violent. That was common sense in the 80s and 90s. And now it's like it's it's verboten.
5: I've been saying for a year now that um, behavior is going to red pill a whole lot of teachers and parents like you. um, I get a bunch of messages every single week just today from one parent who their kid um, was sent to the ER because of things that were done to them in school. Just bullied ruthlessly. And the school does nothing about it. Um, teachers, they don't want to be breaking up fights. They don't want to be disrespected and cussed out. And then they kick a kid out and the kid comes back from the admin office with a bag of chips. It's always hot Cheetos. Um, you know, testing and accountability isn't really a unifying message, but kids shouldn't get black eyes. Teachers shouldn't be cussed out. Your kids should be guaranteed a modicum of even physical safety in schools. That's kind of a unifying message. And if, you know, unions, schools of education, left wing activists are going to get rid of all consequences and discipline in schools, a lot of people are going to run away from them into whoever is talking any amount of sanity about discipline in schools.
2: Now, we normally get pushback here because people on the left will say, "What? no, no one has said there shouldn't be disciplinary policies in school. You're just making this up for white ring out your white right-wing outrage oh, white supremacist outrage you're just making things up to be mad about and i would like to point out that i just pulled i had to got this at uh, indianapolis public schools we were required to read this in the administration it's called coaching for equity it's by elena aguilar you can't see me rolling
5: my eyes on um, the radio
2: as everyone can see i i picked it up and i started leafing through pages and i found that on page 90 of coaching for equity table 3.1 the manifestation of white supremacy in schools the ideology of white supremacy manifests in and i kid you not the very first thing, the very first thing on this bullet point list is discipline policies. The very first point. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm stuttering over this point because it is bewildering to me. How many times we can say, look, violence is bad in schools. I don't care what color is it. It's just California. A couple of weeks ago, they were like, well, you we can't put metal detectors in schools because that will negatively, um, inequitably you know disproportionately affect students of color and it's like but, but why
5: like what yeah and you're they're they're projecting what? their own they're projecting their own racism there california also got rid of suspensions for uh willful defiance behavior so kids can talk back kids can cuss their teachers out kids can walk out kids can basically do whatever they want save for outright violence or drug dealings in schools without consequence uh the One of the uh, more influential papers written on restorative justice, this idea that kids don't need consequences, they just need to be talked to and encouraged to make better choices, Right. one of the more influential papers talks explicitly about moving from punitive to restorative justice. They are set in opposition. The eradication of discipline and consequences is part of the deal, people. They say it explicitly, and when you and I point it out, everyone goes, oh, no, that's not happening.
2: No, it's not. There are still consequences. Where actually, we said there are no punitive. Con- they use the word punitive. Like again, so much. I I said this. This is something that we used to talk about all the time back when we ran Chalkboard Review. The reason that education was so easily gatekept by the left is because of all of the flowery prose and vocabulary that comes along with education. So I, I can instantly, uh, kind of shut anyone out of the conversation to just so that the left-leaning people in education hear me by, you know, starting to communicate via higher level verbose ways of thinking and analysis and I can start to shove in all of these weird educational vocabulary words in so that you don't know what I'm talking about. When I say we should really move from punitive action to restorative action, everyone says, yeah, that sounds, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Punitive sounds like medieval, like punitive, like, ah, you know, punish, get out the whip and tie him to the stake and, and, ah, you know, kind of that idea. Um, and it paints this like weird. The movie Starship Troopers, uh, when like you know Rico's strung up on the whipping post, and like it kind of paints that picture when you hear punitive. No, yeah, punitive is just consequences. Like, yeah, you know what? You you know you threw a desk at a fourth grade child and broke <laughs> three bones. I'm sorry, but you're not coming back to class for a good long while.
5: Yeah, sometimes sometimes Jimmy pushes Timmy because. He wasn't brought up in a good home environment or he's not being loved enough or he's hungry. Or sometimes he's an eight-year-old and he pushed his friend because he's an eight-year-old and homeboy needs a timeout.
2: I used to, I, we talked about this uh, a lot and I, I'm talking to, to Jay Green from the Heritage Foundation a little bit more about this because uh, the situation in New York City is devolving into mass chaos so quickly. Um, but to see students who were uh, rioting in this high school in Queens, literally ripped a water fountain out of the wall. I mean, that has... <laughs> imagine saying that 15 or 20 years ago. They ripped the water fountain out of the wall, destroyed a bunch of tiles, calling for blood outside of this teacher's classroom who had simply gone to a pro-Israeli rally and put a, you know, an I stand with Israel poster. That was her great sin. They're calling for her blood in a huge mob outside. The NYPD contacted their counter-terrorism unit to finally deal with the situation. And what's Mayor Adams saying? Well, we're going to get our pivot project team and our racial equity DEI team over to explain to them in a lecture why rioting is wrong. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) ah, anything but a consequence.
5: Uh Like kids are actually going to go, I don't know, give them a detention for goodness sake, even any kind of consequence. Yeah. uh, I mean, in my own school, we had to shut down bathrooms for a while because kids keep ripping the toilets off the walls and kids could only go to the bathroom with a security guard but we couldn't actually punish the kids who were doing the problems so no. all the other kids who were obeying the rules could just go to the bathroom and in peace by themselves i mean, this is
2: i remember this again washington high school in indianapolis you and i talked when they announced this policy i think i called you um you were in mid-milwaukee i called you up and i was like they have just locked the school bathrooms because kids are going in there and trying to kill each other I mean, there are so many fight accounts for middle schools and high schools on Instagram that, thank God, that's actually turning out to be one of the only ways that we're hearing about some of these events. It was actually um, in the Ohio Elementary School case in which students were held down and and beaten until they said Black Lives Matter, you know, fourth grade activities. Um, it was because of an Instagram account that we found out about it. Do you have time to stick around for one more segment? We're kind of running out of time on this. Yeah, one. I do. You are listening to the Tony Kinnikast on 93 WIBC.
4: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Keytruda, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Keytruda and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: It's the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIPC.
2: I'm just a curbside prophet with my hand in my pocket, and I'm waiting for my rocket to come. I'm just a curse. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 wibc joined by Daniel Buck, a fellow at the Fordham Institute. We've been talking a little bit about as teachers. Uh, it goes beyond just like the normal nonsense of corporate culture, the things that teachers um, and aides and everyone else are expected to endure by their administrators in these schools, when it comes to violence, when it comes to disruptive behavior, it really has become a culture of, you know what students who just are there to learn, you know, students who are actually trying to get something in a school, those kids be damned. I mean, really no one seems to care. Uh, about the students that are just there trying to learn. You, you tweeted about this not too long ago. You said, look, there you know, for every class of 30, if one student is violent, those other 29 deserve to learn. And I saw a teacher from Indianapolis comment underneath. Well, that other one violent student, he's still a student who deserves to learn.
5: They can I, learn. I mean, uh, <laughs> it just the, the, in all of these debates, the other kids are never in consideration. You'll the, no. the advocates will talk about, well, research shows that if you suspend a, kid, suspend a kid one time or 30 times, their behavior doesn't improve. Yeah, but you know who's going to learn a lot more because of it? The other 29 kids that don't have to put up with him shooting spitballs, making farting noises in the back, throwing things, insulting the teacher, cussing the teacher out, hitting right. other kids, verbally abusing other children. The other 29 kids, they deserve an education, too.
2: I would like to go to one of these administrative meetings again, because I I so miss the very, very important administrative meetings that we used to have all the time, every single day, several times a day. I would like to drive my Corolla, which if you guys don't know, Toyota has a very interesting car horn. It's very whiny. I would love to drive my Corolla just into the, the back of the room, and I would like to just press the panic alarm while we're trying to do the meeting. Just leave it on and and see because you know how much is actually going to get done when you have to sit there and listen to the panic alarm over and over and over and over
5: the meeting would be canceled or but throw all of a sudden, snow globe if it's, at the pre- at the presenter's head you know right see how yeah, people yeah react. Throw,
2: you know <laughs> get up and grab the chair and just you know go all bobby night <laughs> toss it into the center of the, of the floor god rest his soul but I, honestly then they don't actually take that idea and apply it to the classroom that maybe the teacher who is trying to get kids ready for a standardized test trying to get them ready for you know this that or the other they can't actually teach because they're busy juggling a student who is genuinely be- I, mean, I every school i ever taught at newcastle uh knightstown um lawrence north in indianapolis indianapolis public schools every system i was at anytime a student was not removed from the room and caused distractions. They continued causing distraction. Of all your time teaching, have Uh, you ever found found a student who started being a distraction and then finally they were just like, well, I've caused my distraction. I think I'll sit down and get
5: to work. Have you seen that? No. And it's worse than no consequences. Often the bad behavior is now rewarded. You kick a kid out, they go to the admin and the admin has a little, you know, pout, pout. Uh, I feel so bad for you. Conversation with the kid—it's not even a wrist slapping anymore. Or there are reset centers in uh, a lot of Texas schools now, where kids who are misbehaving can go there and hang out in bean bags and get some candy and a bag of chips. And any misbehaving high school student or middle school student or elementary school student—they see that, and what do they think? They think I'm going to make my teachers life terrible today because that's fun and then i get to go hang out in the cool room have a heart to heart with the cool administrator sit oh, on a yeah, comfy yeah. beanbag, eat some chips they're incentivized to misbehave it's worse than no consequences right now
2: have you ever so your, your daughter is now reaching a point where she's getting old enough uh, to start to make decisions, you know, as, as, a, as a Christian, I would say she's starting to reach the point where her sin nature is really starting to show all yes. of these things that we've never taught her are starting to manifest in behavior. And one of the things that she got from my wife, because my wife is very, very, very stubborn, is that my wife tells me that when she was a kid, she would make a decision while she was being warned not to do something if doing the thing was worth the punishment. And I'm starting to see our daughter do the same kind of thing like, hmm, is this, you know, if I do this anyway, is it is it worth the punishment? I mean, have have you seen this at all from from your kid? I mean, just kind of take a parenting angle at it.
5: Oh, yeah. Um, She she knows there are punishments. And like you said, there are times where she pauses before she does something. She's like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is this Chinese food worth the food poisoning that I might get? Maybe it is. (laughs) Um, But even so, she often, you know, she had a habit of hitting the dog. And then we started putting her in timeout. And God forbid a few times we spanked her when we told her not to do something. And you know what she stops doing? She stops doing the thing that she gets a punishment for.
2: So I I, I want to point out, you, you you talked about this in regard to, you know, that the teacher comes in or the administrator comes in and gets the kid finally, you know, after eight weeks of calling the office and saying, please, he's hurting people literally like there's a kid lying on the ground. His arm's not supposed to bend that way. Please come get this kid. And they bring the offending child to the office and they sit down and have this talk. When I was in elementary school, my parents got divorced and it was a rough time. And uh, at, that was around the end of third grade, beginning of fourth grade. And in fifth grade, I had been using my parents' divorce as an excuse for bad behavior all up until that time, and I'll never forget. I had a teacher named Tracy McElrath. She's still teaching. Wonderful, wonderful lady. And she said at one point, she pulled me aside and said, "Tony, you got to stop using your parents' divorce as an excuse for everything. That's mm-hmm. not why you did this. I know. At, at what point are you actually going?" To a fifth grader, she just kind of talked to me and said, "Look, you, you got to own it," and I did. And it was, I mean, just again, this is the very direct rational. She wasn't mean. She wasn't cruel. She dressed. Look, yeah, you got problems. People got problems. You can't, you know, take apart my macaroni table in class and then say, oh, that was actually because of the, you know, oh, it was because of the divorce. You can't raise kids that way. You can't get students to learn that way. Oh, well, actually, it's because of the white supremacy. I, I couldn't help beating the crap out of that child for 27 minutes. I was just so angry about climate change. Get out of here.
5: It's basic enabling on the part of adults and it's so gosh darn condescending to students. It doesn't say to a kid from a rough background, you know what? You're better than this. I expect more from you than this. And you are going to overcome these circumstances. You are going to learn self-control. You are going to learn and succeed. It says, no, I don't expect any better from you. So you know what? You're just going to keep doing this. And that's the way your life is going to be. And when I was teaching... I said explicitly the opposite to my students, where my administration didn't have consequences. I pulled kids from gym, I pulled kids from recess, I called their parents, I gave them bad grades and failed them if they didn't do well. Kids hated me in the moment for it, but my toughest students every single year would come up to me at the end of the year and thank me for holding them accountable, for expecting more than them, for not condescending to them, for treating them like gosh darn young adults who could do better than their circumstances.
2: And, uh, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Uh, Daniel Buck, Fordham Institute. Thanks for hopping on. You can follow him over on Twitter at Mr. Daniel Buck. Uh, thanks, man. We'll uh, have you on again real soon.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime.
2: You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC.
4: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider kisimta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
2: Good evening. Welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast on ninety-three WIBC. And uh, honestly, I, I'm feeling, you know, just really positive about something. Allison, are you out there this fine Monday evening?
3: I am. Hello, hello.
2: So I got a question. Have you ever have you ever done any of the the DIY stuff, the do-it-yourself uh, kind of stuff that everybody's doing over on Instagram and whatnot?
3: Uh, I have attempted minor things, yes, but uh, that's about it.
2: <laughs> so. What's the what's the biggest thing that you've attempted? Because this is this is kind of key here.
3: I would say like the whole uh, refurnishing as far as, you know, sanding a dresser and then repainting it. That's the extent Whoa. of my DIY. <laughs>
2: that's a full that's a full blown restoration. You said like that you dabbled a little bit here. It's like, oh, I've just refinished some furniture. You know, I mean, who hasn't done that? That's, I've never I've never messed around with that before. That's, that's how did it turn out?
3: Uh, it turned out decent because uh, I had two other people who actually knew who what they were doing so that's why
2: uh, okay well the home and garden stuff that makes sense okay yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I always tend to forget that that's you know that's the the roost that you rule on Saturdays so the, the reason I bring this up is that there was a study that just came out the other day um, that uh, I guess surveyed uh, homes over the Midwestern and western United States so I'm not sure how much of this out they're including in that But the the study released said that uh, DIY projects have become 73% more popular over the last 50 years in homes across the United States with a major upswing in the last 10 years. And they attribute this mostly to, to social media. People follow, you know, accounts that teach them how to do all kinds of stuff. And I think that's fantastic. I do because if you think about it and even you know 20 30 years ago if something broke down there was this kind of lull kind of from north of the 1950s to about 2010 when if something broke you just called someone to fix it or you just replaced it there was there was very little you know figure out how it works yourself and kind of do it because there was really not an easy way to learn unless you went to a trade school or unless someone sat down that you knew how to fix it and look, I don't know about you, Allison, but like sometimes fixing something with my dad could be a bit of a traumatic experience. You know what I'm saying? Um, I never seemed to hold the flashlight correctly. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs>
3: There's a lot of pressure when it comes to dads watching you. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, there were, you know, like for a lot of people, they didn't really exactly have a way to learn a lot of those skills. And then YouTube happened. And I tell you what, YouTube has saved me more money on car repairs than anything else combined. I, I'll know that this country is headed to a, a proper place when it's really getting its stuff back together. When we start giving the Presidential Medal of Freedom to that guy who teaches you how to, like, replace a car mirror on your car without it costing $400. That's, that's, all.
3: that's so true, though. And I think, too, even the stuff and the quality of, like, the what you're talking about, the dressers, the chairs, even our cars about 10 years ago were probably better quality in a lot of ways, too.
2: That's true. And I'm seeing a lot of people. I mean, I have an aunt that restores furniture and I have a lot of family that kind of dabbles in this. But really, you're seeing a lot of kids in high school kind of pick things, these things up as a hobby. Um, and they're not only just picking up like restoring furniture, they're picking up entire trades, like just off of videos that they've watched online. And by the time they're out of high school, it's like they've got years of experience. They know how to put down flooring. They know how to completely restore hardwood flooring. They know how to do roofing projects and gutters, soffit and fascia. They know how to like fix a huge portion of like certain Toyota and Honda models, like between this year. It's, I mean, again, it's just all from watching these things. I really don't have anything even negative to, to kind of bring to the table about this. I, I I'm just thrilled to see, uh, that we've kind of started this idea in society where or not start restarted this idea because back again i'm saying up till the end of world war ii you know things were broken things were you had to get something repaired that often meant you had to pitch in and, and do part of it yourself or at least you were responsible for upkeep but now I, I mean realistically we're at a point where you can do most of the upkeep yourself you know you can Flush out a tankless water heater. I, I, all the plumbers listening just like immediately, like their hair stood on end because of like, well, that voids the warranty. It might void the warranty, um, but it also might save you hundreds of dollars a year getting that thing flushed, which it's supposed to be flushed once a year. And I mean, goodness, then there's 3D printing and all of the other like types of manufacturing that are becoming really easy to access. I mean, the Home Depot is more packed than ever. And honestly, I couldn't be happier. Because the more people that make videos on content, first of all, the better the content gets. Because of competition, so you have to make a better video. Um, I'm seeing better introductory and instructional video content out there. Uh, there's a goodness gracious talk about cooking. The, the The quality of cooking videos over the last ten to fifteen years is so much better than you know the Food Network lights would come back on and it would be this you know celebrity chef and then like Jeff Goldblum for some reason who didn't know what he was doing there. And then you'd be like making some weird waffles with ingredients no one has in the cupboard, and then he'd yell "bam," which I kind of I kind of miss. Emerald saying "bam," I'll admit it. And then that was the end of the show. You didn't really learn anything. You weren't like, yeah, I can go to the pantry and get this, you know, these deer kidneys and this, you know, Algonquin leaf fat and make a delicious. No one did that. Then you have guys like you know binging with Babish, Andrew Raya. They have guys like Internet Shaquille that I watch that take very common recipes with food and products that are arguably more available now than ever. And it can turn the most average, most useless of people who don't have any skill knowledge from their childhood into not just decent, but very competent semi-professional chefs. Because it's giving people the means to practice skills. With again, you don't have to be in front of an audience to test a lot of these skills. You can do all of this stuff at home. You can put all of this stuff to the test. And it's providing a kind of education that I really don't think that public schools ever could. That's not a dig at public education either. I just think that we finally hit a point in society where there are very few skills that you cannot learn from watching certain videos and then starting to try some of those things out. Now, look, I I understand that you're not gonna, you know, watch a few videos and be an expert at MIG welding on a nuclear fusion submarine. I I know, that's taking it a little too far. But... You might learn some of the basic skills of welding that can build up confidence to actually get into a trade school. I mean, look—if if Jerry, the guy who's you know half buzzed, can get his forklift certification, or at least has a piece of paper from the internet saying that he is definitely forklift certified, uh, you can get out there and and master a trade, or at least be you know fairly competent at some kind of a trade. And at the end, Allison, you have a new dresser, or at least. Did you sell it? what did you do with the dresser? Is it sitting in your house right now?
3: It was for my uh, sister, for her actually college dorm to, again, like you said, to save money and to uh, just create something that's going to last a little longer.
2: I, I I think that's really the key. I mean, I'm also seeing a lot of like really old furniture that kind of, you know, gets restored and it's given people that kind of an appreciation. And so, if, again, if you're out there and you're watching this and you're, you're kind of bored, This evening, go watch a couple of videos and do something. I I don't know, send a picture of it to us. I can't promise I'm going to do anything with it, but I love watching those kind of videos. That has been the end of this episode of the Tony Kennett Cast. Go out there, make something, suffer the news, and we'll see you here tomorrow night. This has been the Tony Kinnick Cast on 93 WIBC.